In the great hall of the Justice League, there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes, created from the cosmic legends of the universe. Superman. Wonder Woman. Batman. Aquaman. And those three junior super friends, Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog. Their mission, to fight injustice, to right that which is wrong, and to serve all mankind. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of For All Mankind, a Super Friends podcast. For All Mankind is a read-through show covering DC Comics' classic Super Friends series, which ran for 47 issues from 1976 to 1981. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly. And joining me this episode is my super friend, Sean Ross. Hi, Sean, and welcome to the Hall of Justice. I thought it would be bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Things always look bigger from the outside than you go on the inside. They do. Uh, you know, if, if the Hall of Justice were real, the first thing I would want to do is see the bathroom. I don't know why. I just, I'd like to imagine they had those superhero toilets that we've seen. <laughs> I just like to imagine that, you know, it's, I just, I don't know. I have a whole headcanon about what the bathroom at the Hall of Justice would look like, but you Interesting. know. <laughs> all right. That's, we'll have to save that for a bonus episode at some point for all mankind. So, well, very cool to, to have you on for all mankind. This is your first appearance on this show. Uh, before we get to the issue that we're going to be covering, which is of course, Super Friends number 15, I trying to ask you, like, do you have any history with the Super Friends series at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I grew up watching the show. Now, the show was on, the, the original series was on before I was born. But, you know, people who are young kids don't understand that we grew up in reruns, that effectively our lives was Nick at night, but unironically. And it was just, you know, Super Friends, Super Friends, Super Friends. And so I have a, a whole hodgepodge of memories with them because I saw, you know, the Galactic protectors episodes with firestorm and dark side and then i would catch these episodes you know with zan and jana and then every once in a while i'd catch these episodes with these two weird 70s kids <laughs> wendy and marvin and they felt so old and they felt so out of time that i thought they were from like 25 years before and i i hated wendy and marvin with the exception <laughs> that marvin taught me how to spell telephone because there's an episode where he spells it with an f and wendy mocks him and i was really young and i was like oh ph makes an f sound and so i've always attributed my understanding of that particular phonetic sound to marvin <laughs> the more you know <laughs> exactly but i grew up on the show and as i started collecting comic books i i refer to this super friends comic book as a dentist's office comic I know you have mountain comics. These are dentist office comics for me where <laughs> you would go to the doctor, you would go to the dentist and they always have a, you know, magazines and they'd always have this pile of old beat up comics. And I would of course immediately grab them and start reading them. And apparently whatever doctor or dentist I was going to didn't really have a grasp of comic books because I would have like an Alan Moore Swamp Thing issue, <laughs> a John Byrne Alpha Flight issue, and then Super Friends as seen on TV. And uh, the dentist was nice. <laughs> the doctor was nice. They'd always let me take one or two home. So I have these scattered issues of Super Friends that I got from visits to doctors and dentist's office. So it's really nice because I love this series because it reminds me of both innocence and the horrible pain of getting a shot. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you this question and and feel free to not answer it uh, if you don't want to. Uh, but when you were a kid and you saw comics in doctors' offices or in places that they weren't normally, you know, they weren't for sale. Let's mm -hmm. say, 
Did you, were you ever tempted to take one of them? Because oh. I have to say that I was. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Now, I, I'm a, I like to think I was a good enough kid that I would always ask because I'd be reading it. And usually the, the receptionist or the doctor, somebody would notice. They're like, do you want to just take that with you? And I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I was that good a kid because I have some vivid memories of like spreading out multiple comics in the backseat of the car after some doctor, like sucking on a lollipop they give you and then spreading comics out on the backseat of the car. So I might've been a little klepto as a kid. And you know, and if that's the case, I, I, Yes, I feel bad, but no. Yeah, I, I totally, I full on, I think, stole some comics. From okay, all right. I'm glad I, I can't remember whether I ever really did it or not. Not because I was worried about that it was wrong. I was worried about my parents were going to catch me. That's all. But uh, I, I might have done it. I don't know. It was, it, you have to remember, everybody, pre-comic book stores, comics showing up in places were still kind of rare. Oh, yeah. And so when you saw them in, in, in a place you weren't expecting them, it really was tempting because you're like, well, was any, I mean, I'm not going to steal this issue of dynamite, but this <laughs> issue of alpha flight, maybe, I, I don't know. I mean, guardian dies in it. It's really exciting. How can I not see it? You know? Exactly. Like I didn't want, I didn't want the people magazine with Lindsay Wagner's courageous battle with an, you know, bulimia or whatever. Like I wanted <laughs> alpha flight number eight. I wanted to see that, that comic. And, and it was, it's, it was like running into your teacher at the grocery store. Like it was just to see a comic in the wild was craziest. Like seeing a comic, outside of a rack was like seeing, I don't know, you know, uh, Tom Selleck without his mustache. Like you, you can, can place who it is conceivably, but it just didn't look right. So yeah, I, I loved when I would run into them and super friends was always there. It was always a, a doctor's office comic. And I, I firmly believe, and I firmly know actually that every issue I own of this series came from some poor doctor's office. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, fair enough. All right. Uh, so, so again, the issue that we're here to talk about is uh, again, super friends number 15, the overlord goes under. It is of course by E. Nelson Birdwell, Ramona Fraden and Bob Smith. It was on sale September 28th. 1978. So before I get to the story, let's talk about this cover a little bit. Uh, we have the shot of Superman punching a meteor, and uh, we got Batman and Wonder Woman on the wings of the invisible plane with the Wonder Twins, and we see that these meteors are falling over on Paradise Island. No Aquaman, no Robin, again, unfortunately. Uh, what do you think of this cover, John? I like it. Uh, you know, there's some... Uh physics not working really well here like you know batman standing on a wing of a plane with a bat rope catching a meteor is is probably not the best use of his skills but i do like the dynamism of it, of it. i and i think of it in in rack sensibilities you know the first half of it would be sticking up so you would see that as seen on tv the super friends and you'd see superman in a classic you know sort of punching yeah uh, meteor so i like it i like the color scheme i always love seeing the invisible jet and I, you know, I just, I think it's a fun cover. It's not iconic, but I think it's fun. The perspective is great. Again, very hard to draw. I mean, you've got everything. You've got this great downshot of Superman uh, looming in the foreground and then slightly off in the background. We've got Batman, by the way, baller move of Batman to stand on an invisible jet <laughs> while he's over Paradise Island. And he's, he's just grabbing it. He's not worried about it. I mean, I, yeah. I would, I would not want to stand on the wing of any plane, let alone the plane of uh, the wing of a plane that I can't see. Uh, but you know, that's what makes him Batman. Uh, and then we have to see Paradise Island off in the background. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a dynamic cover. It's a very dynamic cover. It's not one of my all time favorites. Uh, but again, it's action packed, certainly. Uh, and it you know, represents a moment from the story, uh, which yeah, is always which nice too. That is nice. And I have to tell you, I always steal from you whenever I'm talking about art, even though I don't know what I'm talking about. And I would, were I not on the show with you and I knew you would be able to correct me, I would be like, well, look at Superman's arm. That's a great example of foreshortening, which is really difficult to do. And I just, you, you, 
I just steal that from you and I just apply it to anything I don't understand about art. <laughs> it, it always works. I mean, look, like I said, I've tried, I spent a lot of time trying to draw four shortened hands and I can't do it. It's really hard. So Ramona Freight, of course, knows how to do it because she's Ramona Freight. So, uh, okay, let's get to the, the story. It picks up uh, where the previous issue left off with this group called the Elementals. Uh, the Elementals, now settling into their roles as superheroes, are showing off their new costumes to the Super Friends. The Super Friends invite the Fantastic Foursome to join them in tracking down the Overlord, who is responsible for them becoming possessed by Elemental Spirits. The Elementals readily agree. Little do the Super Friends know, the Overlord is expecting the heroes to make a move, so he is moving first. He beams into the trouble art and tells the super friends that he plans to strike at four locations across the planet with each challenge specifically designed to render the elemental powers useless. In Texas, the Sylph and Robin stop a massive oil spill rigged by some of the overlords goons deep below the sea. Aquaman and the Undine stop what is called Greek fire from destroying the city. Aquaman uses his brute strength to grab the pipes, shooting the flames and bend them upwards, causing the boat with overlords henchmen to be surrounded by a wall of fire. Over on Paradise Island, Wonder Woman and the Salamander have to stop a shower of meteors from hitting the amazing Amazon's home. As Wonder Woman lassoes some of the flaming rocks, Salamander uses her powers to grow in size and catch the rest in her palm. Meanwhile, at the Justice League satellite, Superman and the Gnome try to keep it from being thrown out of Earth's orbit by the Overlord's solar winds. The Man of Steel sees that another satellite is causing the deadly winds, as well as directing the meteors to Earth. With a mighty punch, he smashes it. Back on Earth, Batman and the Wonder Twins go after Overlord. They sneak into his castle stronghold, fighting off some more of his goons as they go. Finally, Batman reaches the Overlord on his throne, and after a brief but feeble attempt, Overlord is apprehended. As Overlord is carried off, his underling appears from the shadows, and we learn that he has been manipulating Sandor Fane all this time. With all the Overlord's money in the hands of him, the underling puts the discarded crown on himself and deems himself the new Overlord. All right, John, what did you think of this issue? These damn decompressed Bronze Age stories. You know, nothing happens. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> these plot synopses are like little short stories, writing these it's, things. It's unbelievable. I mean, I know you talk about this on, on the episodes, but yeah, it's just unbelievable how much is crammed into each story. I mean, I love it. You get four new superheroes in, I think, pretty cool costumes. And, that, you know, with really cool, easy-to-understand power sets. And I, I do love the, you know, haha, I've created tricks where none of your powers will work. You know, not considering that the super friends are going to be with them at all. I, I just, the, the little attention to details kill me in this issue. I love the fact that the underling has a U on his outfit. Like he's like, he's like Laverne DeFazio with self-esteem issues. Like he's just this big, you know, loser. Boo boo kitty. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. And then I love the overlords, you know, jughead aesthetic, you know, this weird beanie. And I mean, it's just, it's so great. It is really, you know, I think like many people have said on this show, it's an aesthetic that as a kid I would have not gravitated to because I would have been like, oh, I'm, I'm too old for this. Or, you know, this is aimed at younger kids than me, even though I was the, the demographic. As an adult, it's just charming. And, I, yeah, I love it. I love the art. I love the color palette. You know, particular shout out to the colorist, uh, Jay Sharp, or Serp, excuse me, because it's, you know, really light palette, really fun colors. And the colors indicate what the power sets of the elementals are, which mm-hmm. is really nice if you're a little kid. Because their names are not great. You know, Sylph sounds like, you know, superhero I'd like to. And then, you know, I don't even know what Undyne is. Like, like you know, is it returning food at a restaurant? I don't really understand it. 
but it's just great. It's the it's gnome a, is not the greatest name in the world either. Well, yeah, and it, especially because it doesn't really define his power set. It's kind of a strange, yeah. It, so, so I like their costumes. I like the new heroes. I think it's hilarious. And you talked about this with with um, Mark Russell in your last episode, where it's like, hey, these ghouls are going to possess your bodies and make you superheroes for a time. Just suck it up and enjoy it. And you know, they seem to have come at more at peace with that. But it's a, it's a fun issue. It's a fun wrap up. And look. Any issue of Super Friends where Robin is a badass, where like he gets to save the day on his little side mission, I'm here for because I really enjoy when he and he and Aquaman too, when they're shown to shine as you know really competent superheroes, is pretty cool. Yes, absolutely. Oh, there's a great Aquaman moment, and I'll I'll get to it as we go through the story. I like the splash page. Uh, these costumes are showing a lot of skin. Uh, they, they are really real. I mean, again, it's Ramona Frayden is drawing it. So therefore it doesn't look so purient, but nevertheless, there's a lot of flesh on display, uh, on, on these costumes, but it's okay because not only are the women mostly not dressed, but neither is the guy. Yeah. Uh, he's really got like a Tarzan tog on. So, you know, it's okay. Everybody's just very scantily clad. There leads to this uh, great little sequence where we see all the, the elementals talk about their powers and we see them reverting back to their, their regular forms. And it's, you know, you could, you could see this being like the, uh, the pitch for the elementals cartoon. Uh huh. This are these panels, you know, we're like, well, these are the characters. And they're like, all right, we're going to go after the overlord. I love that under, I, we talked about this in a previous issue, but I love that the underling is called underling. <laughs> and that overlord is such a massive dick that he doesn't think maybe don't call your underling by that, quite as you mentioned there's a you on his chest for pizza yeah. I mean, it's like he is really rubbing it in underling's face and we know we knew from previous issues that the underling is scheming mm-hmm. and that the overlord is a big dunce i mean we know he's a dunce because he's wearing a fur cape with a globe on his head with like a burger king <laughs> crown i mean he's not the most awesome. imposing villain in the world so we know that underling is gonna is gonna you know pull one over on on the overlord here and of course you know the overlord has to break things up into across the globe. I mean, this was the formula E. Nelson Bridwell had established. Let's break everybody mm-hmm. up so we can go and everybody can have individual adventures. There's the panel of all the heroes talking to each other, which I always find kind of, kind of charming. Aquaman's like, you and I will head for Poseidonus. Okay, Undine. Perfect, Aquaman. Like, yes. All right. It's awesome. Great. So Batman decides he's going to go with the Wonder Twins and Gleek off to go after the Overlord. And so then we break off into, into individual missions. We have the, uh, the, the, the Texas oil rig spill in, in, uh, with Robin and the Sylph. And again, I love that. First of all, I like that it's a snowstorm because of course, well, it's not, a, it's not a snowstorm. It's the Sylph is, is created the snowstorm to put out the, uh, the oil. But I like that Robin comes Bearing, bearing in with these these overlords. And I love that he takes all those guys out by himself. Yeah. Uh, that's He boxes one guy, kicks another guy in the head. Like, as you said, he, that's a good moment. He's a real badass. I love that he leaps out of the way of fire. He looks pretty good. Like, uh, Batman would be very proud of him. It's awesome. I mean, he comes up with the plan. He's like, hey, you stop the, the flood of oil. And then he realizes right away that these men who are dressed as workers must work for the overlord if they're trying to get the pipes running again. Right. Yeah, he takes out a guy with a flamethrower. I love when Robin is competent in books like this because so often, you know, he's that junior superhero and he just isn't depicted as, you know, as competent as, say, Batman. And I was I was really here for it because i'm like man he's just awesome in this if i were a little kid reading this i'd be like yeah i totally want to be robin he's amazing and then i like that that sylph carries him you know armpits him to texas 
And it's a good prep for him because, you know, Coriander is not far away here. We're going to get Starfire in the new Teen Titans soon. And he's <laughs> going to be carried like a baby a lot of places. So he's going to have to get used to it. <laughs> You're going to get carried around. Starfire is the one to do it, though. It's the way to go. I got to say. So, okay, now that would down back and down in Poseidonus, uh, Aquaman wants to, uh, Aquaman and, uh, and the Undine are going to rescue the, the, that city from the, the wall of Greek fire. And this features one of my favorite moments of Aquaman. Back when I was doing the Aquaman Shrine Blog, I used to have random panels of the day where I would just take one <laughs> panel out of an Aquaman comic and post it absent any context. I didn't give where it was from. It was just a random panel. And I especially loved, I liked some that were silly and some that were funny or whatever, but I liked ones where Aquaman was like just a badass. I liked those because as you said with Robin, Aquaman didn't get a lot of moments like that a lot of times. So I love that this boat has got these these jets and they're sticking into the water and they're shooting this Greek fire down. And Aquaman grabs and just through sheer muscle bends it upwards. Mm-hmm. So all of the flame is shooting up around the boat. Like that to me is like I would have killed for that moment in the cartoon. Because yeah. you would have heard that great sound effect of the, you know, the pipe <laughs> being bent. To me, it's like that's just Aquaman being super cool. And then the guys are like, oh, my God, we're surrounded by a, a ball of fire. And then Aquaman compounds uh, their defeat by jumping into the frame on page nine. Again, you'll see these pages on the website, firewaterpodcast.com. A great panel of Ramona Frayden of Aquaman riding a dolphin as, as that dolphin and two other dolphins come in and knock them out. It is like, it's everything. When I was a kid, it's everything I loved about Aquaman. So I'm like, this is the guy I love. It's so cool. It's so awesome. He, Arthur Curry never met a problem. He couldn't chuck a dolphin at like, it's just, it it is, it is a badass moment where he comes riding in and he, again, like Robin, very competent defeats the bad guys. Uh, You know, it's funny when you said you picked a panel from this moment, I thought for sure it was the panel when (laughs) Aquaman turns to the camera, literally looks at the reader and he goes, the Greeks use Greek fire against the Saracens. (laughs) And then he gives you this little lesson on Greek fire. And I was like, oh, that's so awesome. They're not even pretending this isn't the more you know moment. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It's, it's really great. <laughs> I never knew what Greek fire was until I read this comic. I was like, what's Greek fire? Okay. Uh, I also do love that after the dolphins beat the crap out of uh, the Overlord's goons, I love that they take the moment where Aquaman says, now that the enemy is conquered, I'll help my pals back into the ocean. And he just <laughs> chucks them back into the water. It's like, again, it's like we were talking about, uh, we just did an episode of MASHCAST, and we were talking about how much we loved like BJ Honeycutt because he was like a sensitive guy. Mm-hmm. This is what I loved about Aquaman. Is that like he loves his finny friends and he's going to use them to help kick these guys asses. But once he's, once they're done, he's like, we're well, going to get my, my pals back into the water. I back love that. Water. I love that they took the moment in this, this story is 18 pages, but it's got probably 40 pages of story. <laughs> There's a plot, but I love that he Nelson Birdwell and Ramona Frayden take a moment to do that panel. Yeah, it's great. It could have just ended with Aquaman punching the guy out. But I love that we literally see Aquaman going, throwing one of the dolphins <laughs> back into the water. It's great. It's like, you ever been to Pike Place Market in Seattle? Those fish chuckers? You know, they're always chucking those big <laughs> fish across. The- <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I absolutely love it. So then over Paradise Island, Wonder Woman and the Salamander uh, stop these meteors from falling. And the Salamander shows an ability that I would not have guessed she has. <laughs> no. Is that using her flame, she can shoot her body up and become a giant. I don't know where they get that from exactly, but it's cool. And she straddles two of the islands of Paradise Island, uh, you know, like the, like the roads of Colossus. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, like <laughs> Salamander's pretty powerful as things go. 
it's crazy. Like without even so much as an anuk chuck, you know, she's just yeah, like, no. let's. I've never tried this in a human body before, but fire can get big. And then I was like, oh, cool, she's going to turn into a big flame. And then it's like, oh no, no, suddenly she's giant woman. Okay, cool. Right. And I, you know, it's super friends, so there's a, a sure. great suspension of disbelief. But I, this moment prodded me into what I like to call a David Gallagher moment when I dive into the internet to see whether these obscure heroes have appeared Uh, anywhere else again. Cause you know, our buddy David Gallagher is obsessed with these obscure DC heroes, which is awesome. And they haven't, I look, they don't, these are their only appearances is in super friends. What a waste. These are great. These are great characters. Somebody should have picked them up. Yeah, they're fun. They're fun. It's that's, that is a shame, especially, especially if they were given, superhero costumes and you know looking like a team and stuff so yeah uh so then over the jelly satellite and superman stops these uh the overlord solar winds from rocking the jelly satellite out of its orbit he may, he sees this satellite and sees that it's also sending the meteors and he smashes it and it features a great little thought balloon where superman says uh he says uh uh, must have cost uh, this. Sat- he says, "Must have cost Overlord millions of dollars in months of preparation for something I can wreck with one punch." <laughs> and it features a great panel by, of course, Ramona Frey of, of Superman smashing this uh, the, the the satellite into a million pieces. And you see like sprockets flying out. But I like that even in a Super Friends comic, they take the time to remark that. Wow, this this equipment must cost a lot of money to put together. Mm-hmm. And I could, I've just broken it in two seconds. So you know that's too bad for you, Overlord. I like the moment, too, right before then when he says, that mystery satellite put up last month. No one knew what country. Can it be? And it's like, <laughs> what? You don't, you don't know satellites by, you know, <laughs> like what a, what a strange moment to be like, you know, we were all curious when that satellite went up into space because no country claimed it. And it's just it's such a weird moment. But I do love Bronze Age Superman because he just knows everything. It's yeah. awesome. The, the orbit around Earth must be filled with supervillain satellites at this point, right? I mean, there's got to be a million of them. Luthor, Brainiac. I mean, there's just got to be every villain could just shoot a satellite up for some nefarious plan uh, come, you know, coming to fruition later on. So uh, now uh, we get Batman and, and the, the Wonder Twins show up to Overlord's castle. The Wonder Twins use their powers to help Bat- Batman. Uh, Jaina turns into a giraffe and batman climbs up the neck and uh, <laughs> flies over the wall uh i i love remote afraid and obviously her artwork is not um moody in any way that is not what you go for when you're when you're hiring remote afraid nevertheless i love the way she draws batman uh yeah. the, she gives as much mysterioso to mood to batman as you can get and it's a small thing but like there's a panel where one where jan and and uh or Zan, excuse me, and Gleek and Batman are walking under the, the door of the Overlord's castle. And Batman is kind of shrouded, like his cape is flowing. Like, mm-hmm. it, it looks really cool. Again, he doesn't get to be super mysterious, but it's he's draped in shadow in it, kind of that moment, and I really like it a lot. I can't believe how well she drew this giraffe. Like, that could not <laughs> have been easy. This is pre-Photoshop, pre-all of that stuff. And I know, yep. you know, artists always say, what, horses are really hard to draw? Horses are really hard, yeah. I can't imagine a giraffe is easy. And that thing looks, I mean, that looks realistic. Like, that, I was I was really impressed as I was reading the comic again. I was like, oh, my God, man, she kills that giraffe. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's, hey, it's Ramona Freighton. So then the next sequence, we have a bunch of overlord goons attacking uh, Robin and, excuse me, not Robin, Batman and Gleek and the Wonder Twins, and then they use their powers again to defeat them. Batman rolls on. I love that it takes Batman one panel to get rid of Overlord. <laughs> one panel. He's like, <laughs> and he's like, they were very little trouble, Overlord, and Overlord pulls out a gun, and Batman just grabs it, and Overlord just goes, ugh. And like, that's it. Like, that's all it does. <laughs> Batman, this is not a pitch battle here for, no. it's the Overlord. And then 
Batman doesn't even notice that uh, the underling is wandering off in the background. And we find out, as I said in the synopsis, that the underling has been basically stealing all of Sandor Fane's money. And now he's got it all. And Overlord is basically going to be kind of up shit's creep without a paddle. And and Underling is going to become the new Overlord. And puts that dumb crown on his head and sits (laughs) on the throne. And, of course, at some point, I'm presuming, again, like I've mentioned, I'm not reading ahead that Mm -hmm. the Underling will return. Uh, as a new overlord, I'm guessing that that is something Nelson will return to over the course of the series. I like that by the rules of the Underlord's castle, whoever wears the the Earth beanie exactly. is the you know is the master. <laughs> <laughs> heavy is the head is the heavy is the head that wears the beanie, the world beanie. It's so uh, yeah, it's so it's a fun issue. It's a really yeah. fun story. The elementals get stuff to do. The Super Friends get stuff to do. It features a great Aquaman moment. So it's a really nice conclusion to the the two part story, which was set up in the previous issue. Yeah, I really like it. I like the again. I like the competency i like the fact that we're in the cartoon you know robin is almost always easily defeated and aquaman never really gets to shine i like that we get to see them as highly competent and that you know really the super friends have this under control and the elementals are there to help and then i've always really enjoyed in this comic that zan and jaina are treated as equals even though they're the young you know superheroes they are definitely trusted and their power sets are cool like the moment when Zan is like, oh, I'm going to turn into Jack Frost. And I like that Bridwell gives us the thought balloon where, where Zan thinks, you know, I, I saw this and I tried it and I thought it might work. And because and, mm-hmm. it, it is a little bit of a hero point moment for his powers, like it's a little outside of the bounds of what he normally does. And I was I was really into it. I'm like, that's a really clever use of his power. This is really cool. So I really enjoyed it. I liked the the way it wrapped up. I like that it's additive, that it adds new heroes you know, to the world and to the mix. Mm-hmm. And for the life of me, I don't understand why the elementals didn't catch on the way, say, the Global Guardians did. I mean, they literally, all they're missing is a, you know, by our powers combined, and they would make a great cartoon. That's that's all they need. Absolutely. They really, uh, the Super Friends series was not considered continuity, which is why uh, they were pretty much ignored uh, yeah. in Who's Who. Like, there was no Super Friends listing. But if they had wanted to, like, you could have done a one-off of Who's Who and Super Friends. Like, mm-hmm. just a whole issue of characters that only ever appeared in super friends. If they really had wanted to do that. And it's, it's a darn shame. They never, I knew they were never going to do it because super friends was off the air for like a bunch of, a couple of years. The, I mean, the comic was just uh, stopped being published a couple of years by the time who's who came around. But uh, yeah, I mean, Enos and Birdwell threw out a lot of concepts uh, that uh, basically just got left inside the boundaries of the super friends comic. So uh, who would you vote for best friend? Who do you think, what hero do you think came off the best in this story? A lot. Again, a lot of them look really, really good in this, but I'm going to go, I'm going to give it to Robin. I like that on his own, he comes up with the plan for self, and then he goes in and defeats henchmen who, you know, have him outnumbered and outgunned. And he, you know, I just think it's a really good Dick Grayson moment. What about you? I got it. I know that I'm playing favorites. I was, I got to give it to Aquaman though. I just do that moment. Uh, I remember having this, this issue as a kid and I still can remember him Bending the pipes is to me is just such a great badass. Grabbing flaming pipes and <laughs> bending them so they shoot back in the direction of the villains is just to me, that's what I want. That's, you know, they all get great moments. Superman gets to smash the satellite and the salamander gets to turn into a giant. I mean, there's a lot of great moments for, and Robin, except Robin gets to beat ass on a bunch of crooks. That's really good. But uh, man, I just love that Aquaman moment so much. I, I got to give it to him for this issue. So it makes up for the fact that he's not on the, uh, on the cover in terms of our villain roundup. We've already kind of covered this, the overlord. He would not appear outside of 
um, the uh, the greater uh, Super Friends universe. So this is it. So the under the underling, I probably would not either. But uh, this is again one of these concepts that uh, just uh, stayed within uh, the panels of the Super Friends. But overall, really fun story. As you said, it expands the universe, features extra characters, which is always fun. And you know, E. Nelson Bridwell, man. Sometimes he liked to cram a lot into these stories. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is a two parter, 36 pages of story, but again, probably five times that in terms of plot, just how much he was able to jam in. So really fun. Another great winner in this uh, super friend series. It is. And I'd like to think that the underling went on to become a Senator from a Southern state. I think that yes. I like to think that, you know, he did, he did have a future and I think we may be seeing the, the ramifications of his future right now. <laughs> My colleague from the great state of Louisiana, the overlord. Go. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So I, I do have a quick question. Are you reading this digitally or in floppy? Uh, I am reading digi- I'm reading it digitally. Because there are a couple of great moments. There's an ad for the Superman the Movie contest. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's a full-page ad, and it's yellow, and it's, you know, uh, Superman. It's it's um, pointing at the sky from yep. the movie. Yep. It's Fantastic! It's an image I thought you would really love. Giving I love those things. Yeah, yeah I, I never entered those contests because I was so sure I was never going to win. But uh, but yeah, that was I remember those ads were just so exciting. It's just yeah, so cool. Yeah, I always scan the letter pages just to see if any of our comic book podcasting mm-hmm. buddies you know made it, and and no one that we know is in it that I know of. But there is a letter from a Beppy Sabatini, <laughs> which I just was, thought was the greatest name ever. I was that like, is a great name. Yeah, you know he was eating Sunday gravy with grandma. <laughs> You know, and, 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 you know, complaining about the neighbors, you know, and playing stickball while he was writing this letter. So I just, I loved it. I was like, that is a killer name, man. That is, Beppe that is Sabatini. a great handle. Beppy Sampatane. Awesome. Yeah. I, yeah. If, if he, if he's on Twitter, you know that he got his name. Oh yeah. Twitter. Cause there's no other Beppy Sampatini. So yeah. He's not Beppy Sampatini four, five, six, no. you know, <laughs> yeah, it's the first one. So yeah. Good, good on you, man, for getting published in a super friends comic. That's, exactly. uh, that's fantastic. So, well, uh, again, thank you, Sean. Thank you so much for, for coming by the hall of justice and talking super friends with me. I really enjoyed it. I'm so happy to have you on any of my shows. You've now appeared on I, almost every show I've done, right? At this point that I, of my solo shows, you've done film and water. Mm-hmm. You've done pod Dylan. Yes. Not not even talking about Bob Dylan. You mentioned crowbar <laughs> yourself onto Pod Dylan. I did with Jacob You've Dylan. Done, with Jacob Dylan. You've done MASH cast. Yeah. Treasury uh, cast. You've done Treasury cast. I mean, I have Fade Out. We got to figure out what movie you want to talk about on Fade Out. But man, you are just you you're just checking off all the the, the slots on the uh, bingo card. Uh, yeah, I do. I have my fire and water bingo card. I you know, I need to get that Justice Society one in now because you guys have started a great new show. Right. <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, this was great, man. I, I, this is a blast. I, I think I told you this story, but you know, with under quarantine, my wife and I are working across the kitchen table from each other and I'll put, usually I'll listen to podcasts with a headset on, but if she's not at the table, I'll take my headset out just because it hurts my ears for, you know, mm-hmm. doing it for eight hours a day. And at one point she comes and she sits down and she goes, is this that mash show you listen to? <laughs> and I go, no, this show's about super friends. And she goes, Oh, I must be hearing too many of your podcasts. Cause this guy sounds just like the guy from mash. Cast. And I go, really? I don't hear it. I don't, I don't hear that at all. <laughs> she's like, really? And I go, yeah. And I just let it sit, but it cracked me up. Man, Cause she's, she, she thinks all, she goes, all podcasters must sound the same. I go, do they all sound like they're from Southern New Jersey? <laughs> And it's yeah. just a sign one of how many shows I listen to that you produce because you produce amazing content. But it just was a really funny, like, little in-joke for me that I never actually explained to her. <laughs> I hereby apologize to both you and your wife for <laughs> bringing out so much content. So, well, again, thank you so much for coming on. Why don't you tell people where they can find you on the Internet? 
Yeah, thanks for having me again, man. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sean42AZ. Uh, you can find me podcasting at the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network, where I co-host Marvel Superhero Secret Wars and Beyond with my buddy Dr. G, where we cover every issue of every Secret Wars miniseries from Marvel. I co-host the Never-Ending Reading Pile with my buddy Greg Arujo, where we just jump around. It's a non-indexing show, and we just talk about whatever character or comic is striking our fancy. And then I am co-host of the Bat Pod with Bill Beer, where we talk about new Batman and Bat-related issues as they come out each month, because I am still in my Batman phase. I have never left it. Yeah, everyone's in their Batman phase. I don't know what he's talking about. So, <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm not going to say who even we're talking about. You know who you are. So thanks for stopping by, Sean, and everyone stay tuned. I'm going to play some commercial announcements. And after that, Chris Franklin and I will be back for another installment of For All Merch Kind. There are 50 adventures for G.I. Joe. There are 50 adventures for your G.I. Joe with Kung Fu Grip. Each sold separately. Here are three. You can take Joe on patrol with Sandstorm Survival. And that's Joe with secret mission to Spy Island. Assemble Devil of the Deep and you can take Joe on a search for danger. There are 50 adventures for G.I. Joe. Devil of the Deep comes with everything you see here. G.I. Joe with Kung Fu Grip, G.I. Joe adventure sets and equipment each sold separately. And we're back and as promised, it's time for another installment of a very popular segment here on For All Mankind. It's For All Merch Kind. And of course, that means I'm joined by Chris Franklin. Hi, Chris. Hey, Rob. How's it going? Good. Great to have you back here at the Hall of Justice for another segment of For All Merch Kind. Uh, this piece of Super Friends Arcana was sent in by a loyal listener, Chuck, a.k.a. Cellar Dweller. And uh, this is an interesting piece. It's a superheroes, not super friends, presto fix activity set. Now, uh, I didn't have this uh, piece, and I know you did not either, Chris, so I'm going to let the Chuck explain what it is. It says, this item is called a Superheroes Presso Clicks from 1977. It's an arts and crafts type activity set where you press pieces of colored plastic into a grid to form pictures. Orange was not one of the colors included, so Aquaman gets the shaft for his own picture, but a group of just the group's heads includes Aquaman. It's an inside, odd assortment of images, including two Wonder Dogs, and while we don't see Wendy or Marvin, for some reason, Marvin's M from his chest is included. So, all right, um, this, this kind of Reminds me a lot of Light Bright, really, that we just covered, uh, is that you make pictures with these little colored uh, beads kind of thing here. Um, on the on the box art, it doesn't say Super Friends, it says Superheroes. Again, the copyright being shared with Marvel Comics. And we've got stock art poses of Superman. Who, who do, what super, is that Wayne Boring Superman, Chris? Actually, I, I think that's a, that's Kurt, that's a young Kurt Swan doing a Wayne Boring type Superman, uh, off the cover of, uh, the Superman 3D comic in the 50s. Oh, that's right. Right. I, you know, the, I remember it more from that ad for the uh, kryptonite rocks that you could buy right. in the DC 70s thing. So we've right. got Superman there. We've got the Carmen Infantino. And Murphy Anderson, uh, Batman and Robin, and then the Wonder Woman. I'm not exactly sure who drew that. I've seen that stock art piece before, but I, I can't quite recognize the style. Now, I've never been able to pinpoint who did that either. It's not – I don't think it's Dick Giordano. I don't know who it is, no. but yeah. It's, uh, but again, I've seen it before. So anyway, it's just the four Super Friends, not all the super friends uh this thing contains over 800 pieces which means this is the kind of thing you get for someone uh, for some kid whose parents you hate uh, i guess that's the idea behind that um and again it shows you with a little pamphlet all the different pictures that you can make with this thing and there is a there's a shot of superman flying there is a um a 
um, like an, a bust of Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, Robin, Wonder Dog holding a bone that because it's flesh colored really doesn't look like a dog bone. We've got Robin running, a Batman logo, a POW, Superman. And there is a shot of our five super friends, including Aquaman, as Chuck mentioned. But as, you, as he said, because there's no orange, it's just a headshot. So, yeah, Aquaman really does does get shafted here. Aquaman gets the shaft, but what Aquaman character does get represented, Rob? Storm. His, <laughs> his, his trusty steed, Storm, is represented here. Now, they color him blue, uh, but, I mean, it's a seahorse, so what's the difference? But that, that seems like a curious choice. Then you've got Wonder Dog, Marvin's logo, Batman, Wonder Woman, Clark Kent using his X-ray vision through his glasses, and a kind of janky-looking Robin. And, of course, Marvin's logo was a green M on a yellow background, but here they don't do that. They make it blue because they didn't, uh, you know, they didn't have, a, they didn't have, a, well, they did, you know, it's weird. I was about to say they didn't have green, but of course they did have green because Robin is green. So right. why is, why isn't the M and Marvin green? That doesn't make any sense. I guess they just included more blue because of all the, the characters all have blue in them from their blue costume parts to their blue hair. Basically. I, guess, <laughs> I guess so. And then there's a superheroes logo, but it is done in the same style as the super friends logo where it's like, you know, the, it's a three D into the background. I don't, I mean, I don't know. What would you have thought of this if you had gotten this as a kid? I mean, would you have this entertained you? Well, the weird thing is, is I, I mean, honestly, when you sent this to me, it didn't click that this is essentially the same thing my daughter is doing right now. They have these these things called, I think they're called diamond paint kits or something, and they're basically little plastic pellets that you that you basically do a paint by number type thing on a grid like this. Really? Yeah, and she's like, she got a set of those in like a week or so ago and has been, you know, doing that during these COVID times, you know, <laughs> to entertain huh. herself. And she was like working on a Pokemon one. Uh, and, and like, she got a Pokemon one and one, one of, uh, uh, Grogu baby Yoda and, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Mickey mouse and several different, several different types. And, 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 uh, yeah, it's pr- essentially the same thing. So, and I think these things have actually become pretty popular because like one of her friends was telling her about it and she's done all these different ones. And so she, you know, ordered herself some, so I guess maybe this thing was ahead of its time, like by about almost, you know, 40 some years. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm really flummoxed at this. Uh, I, from what I can tell, it's like, it doesn't come with kind of like light bright. It doesn't come with a pre-printed thing that you follow. You have to put them in yourself. So I guess the, the, the point of the, the skill is that you're getting as close to the image as you can, I guess. I mean, the, the images here are clearly uh, modeled after the DC stock art, uh, mm-hmm. because they look in that style, but I guess that's the, is that, is that what it, I guess is what you're supposed to do is that you're, you're trying to get as close as you can using these little plastic pieces. I don't, I, I guess like, I'm not really getting what the entertainment value of this is other than it's like drawing, except you're using the little plastic pellets instead of pencils and, and markers. Yeah, I guess so. And yeah, it doesn't seem like that the, like the things that the modern ones have like the image underneath and you lay the beads okay, down over go. top of it. See? Okay. So, I mean, it, it's a lot easier to follow and, and yeah, because this one is, if there's nothing underneath, I don't know how in the world you'd ever yeah. recreate Clark Kent with his x-ray vision right. coming through his clothes. <laughs> right. And because all the pieces are square, it makes everything kind of look like an 8-bit video game. I mean, it it's does. like if, if they had made a Super Friends video game for the Atari system, 
uh, well, it wouldn't have been in, it wouldn't have been in full color like this, but if they had, this is kind of what it would have looked like. And I, I really do kind of like the, uh, the five shot of the super friends, the headshots, because the way they do it, like Wonder Woman's eyes are just like super beady and she's kind of just looking over to the side sort of suspiciously. And Superman has these very red lips and Robin looks like he's wearing glasses as opposed to a, right. a domino mask. So, uh, and Aquaman has these very Eugene Levy style eyebrows. So it's, it, charmingly simplistic of course you'll be able to see these images uh, over on the website frontwaterpodcast.com but yeah i mean i mean i guess it would be kind of challenging to make all these things but i know it feels like when you see on the box that you literally have to snap these pieces off a little uh, a little like a ruler almost i would imagine a, a careless kid would get half of this stuff lost in like 10 minutes yeah i mean that's true it's like a model kit sprue it's yeah that's new. That yeah. That's yeah. The th- the modern ones all are like little beads and bags, so you don't have to do that. So <laughs> yeah, uh, this, this is. I get kids in the seven. You know, we were expected to be, be more diligent with our stuff, but uh, yeah, it does upset me that there is no Aquaman. I mean, I guess they really didn't want to spring for the orange. Uh, it feels a little, I don't know. I mean, you couldn't have done one more color. I mean, you got like a peach flesh color. You've got red, blue, yellow, g- green. You've got gray for Batman's tunic and Wonder Dog. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't throw in Aquaman. I don't I, I know I'm a broken record on this, but it's just, I guess that's the problem when you're, when you're a hero made up of mostly secondary colors is that when you have things like this, you just, you know, they're always going to go for the, the primary colors and that's it. Couldn't they have just like done done his shirt in yellow and gave it some like red shadows underneath or something? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, to to create orange, you know, just to you know, I mean, come on, people. You gave him. (laughs) We get we got Storm and two Wonder Dogs, who's got a yellow cape. And even though, like you said, there's green, he's got a yellow cape at one point, and one point he's got a green cape, and one guy. I I I do not know. This is this is a really interesting piece. I I have never seen this before. But I mean, despite the fact Aquaman's not in it, I think it, I think it's actually pretty cool. And I, I just think in the seventies, parents just wanted their kids to disappear for days at a time. Yeah, right. Here you go. Here you go. Here, Merry Christmas, Junior. Here we'll see you in three weeks. I'm like, okay, all right. On the box, we see the kid making Batman, and it says contains enough materials to make any one picture at a time. So you can't even make multiple pictures. I guess you have to. You have to like take it apart to make Ooh. more than one or something. I, don't... I wonder how you get them back apart. Do you like pop them apart or yeah, something? Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, if any of you uh, had this set, uh, let me know in the in the comments because I'm really fascinated as to how you're supposed to make. I mean, again, some of them are imagined. Of the Superman flying one is actually pretty cool. The way he's sort of like um, stocky, he looks like a Joe, Joe Schuster Superman, which I kind of like. He does. Uh, and then there's the Batman logo, which is fun to make. Like, it's an actual pretty close reproduction of the Batman logo at the time and the Superman S shield. But yeah, I never had this as a kid. It probably wouldn't have interested me because I would have been like, I don't know, just what, making pictures with beads. What, you know, what's that about? And again, no Aquaman just upsets me. So the next time we do a for all merch kind, we're going to have to do something with Aquaman because he's been left out in the, the last couple of these. We got to get him back involved. In <laughs> right. Right. So, uh, so yeah, that's uh, the Presto fix creative systems by Tarco, unfamiliar with that company, uh, from 1977, the Superheroes Presto Fix set. So 
Thanks so much, uh, Chuck, a.k.a. Cellar Dweller, for the contribution. So, Chris, thank you once again for stopping by the Hall of Justice to do another For All Merch Kind segment with me. You know oh. I enjoy these. I'll, I'll be over here breaking off the, all these little pieces of plastic, Rob. When you get done, we'll, we'll get started on these. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, everybody. Stay tuned. We're going to run some commercial announcements, and I will be back with some listener feedback. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. Richard Richard Pryor? Pryor? Yes, it's Superman 3 Movie Minute. On Superman 3 Movie Minute, we'll be examining Richard Lester's 1983 film, Five Minutes at a Time. This time around, we don't just have Superman. We have evil Superman, Lana Lang, a scary robot lady, and yes, Richard Pryor. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And it's time for listener feedback, and this time we'll be covering the feedback from the previous episode for All Mankind, which was episode 14 with my guest, Wonder Twins writer Mark Russell. Let's get to the comments on the website, finewaterpodcast.com. First up is Matt Sorois, who says the Elementals would have been an interesting concept for an ongoing series, a team of reluctant heroes whose bodies and minds might be hijacked at any moment to fight evil. They could even change it up a bit and go with Marvel's Captain Universe concept and have the spirits take possession of different random person each time. Cool idea, Matt. And O'Bosnar follows up and he says, totally agree that these elementals could have been put to good use. I'm also surprised that no one mentioned the similarity between this concept, i.e. reluctant heroes whose bodies are hijacked by spirits, and Dr. Fate. I mean, Edo, that's what I have you people for. Uh, You know, I've said uh, virtually every episode uh, that uh, E. Nelson Bridwell managed to pack, you know, twice as much story in 18 pages as virtually any other writer uh, especially nowadays, but even back then, he was really plot dense. And sometimes I am just doing my best to just get all the basic elements, uh, no pun intended, into the recap. And sometimes they don't even really have time or the one of the mental wherewithal to think about the similarities to other concepts. However, sometimes it occurs to me, sometimes it doesn't. So that's why uh, you guys come in in the feedback and uh, and follow up with all these great details. And that's why we do a listener feedback section. So thank you very much, Edo. Keep up the good work. Sean M. Meyer says, hello, Mark. Thanks for guesting on this episode. Your view on creating other worlds and planets was fantastic. I loved your work on Order Twins and hope you will write more of their adventures in the future. I thought this issue was very good. I liked that we got to see all the major players of this issue and next issue in one case in a casual setting, just being their normal secret identity cells before the action unfolds. Once they are turned into the elementals, I thought that Salamander and Gnome had great looking costumes, but the Undine and the Sylph didn't look good at all. They seemed rather plain. Rob, you mentioned that there that this was the only issue of Super Friends to be released during the DC explosion. There is a fantastic book by Keith Dallas titled Comic Book Implosion, an oral history of DC Comics circa 1978 that goes into the planning, execution, and ultimate death of the idea. It's a great read. When you mentioned how men were wearing headbands seems to be all the space-age fashion rage, I was reminded of a letter column, maybe in Superman Family, I'm not sure, that although we think it looks funny to see men wearing headbands, it's really no different than men wearing neckties. Neither really serves no function. Listening to this episode, I was a bit disappointed that you and Mark were so dismissive of how scary Zan's power was to the people who were in their audience. You should know by studying the works of Frederick Mercury that said, Thunderbolt and Lightning, very, very frightening me. Thank you, Sean. Uh, regarding the DC implosion, yeah, I've been meaning to read that book for the longest time, and your comment finally uh, kicked me in the butt enough to go order it, and I did, so it is on its way to me. Um, it probably be, actually, I will probably have read it by the time you guys all hear this. I'm really excited to dive into it, and maybe that's even worthy of doing a 
podcast about it or something because it's a fascinating idea uh, the DC implosion and so yeah I really can't wait to uh, to read the book again thank you for the reminder uh, that went on uh, Sean's comment about the headbands started a whole thread between Martin Gray and Sean and Ange talking on and on about headbands and then Martin Gray finally chimed in with um, this is going to be one of those occasions when Rob says it led to a whole discussion go over to the page and read it there what you said Martin so Chris Franklin from our network, of course, is just on this very episode, said, great to have Mark on the show. I really enjoyed his Wonder Twin series and add me to those who hope for more. This is another one of those earlier issues of Super Friends that I had bought for me, I had bought for me as a wee lad. I remember thinking how similar Salamander's costume was to Bushmaster of just a few issues before. Not sure if EMB was taking a dig at Frayden's costume designs and story or not, but I think the costumes are actually kind of cool and unique. Ah, those DC Marvel fiddlesticks. My daughter got a used but near complete set of those about seven or so years ago at a toy show. They are a lot of fun and are undoubtedly some of the last bits of merch with DC and Marvel characters actually in the same package, not just on adjoining marketing like the Lightbright sets. And uh, Chris in the comments provided a link, of course, over from uh, Platt Stallings, pal Brian Heiler. Uh, yeah, really, I, that's amazing that you could even find a complete set that many years later. It seems like something that uh, would be easily... Uh, Piece would feature pieces easily lost. So uh, good for you. I hope you're, I hope uh, Danny enjoys it. Uh, Martin Gray comes back in with a comment. He says, how brilliant to hear one of today's most interesting writers on the show. Wonder Twins is such a terrific comic, smart, funny, and great looking. Stephen Byrne is such a splendid artist. I loved Mark's observation that the Gardner Fox formula had been put into video games and other media. As a non-player, it hadn't struck me, although I know quests are a thing. I wonder if Sonic the Hedgehog has a snapper car. God, I hope not. Mark's origin of the Wonder Tunes was different to the one given at Super Friends. Yes, but the bit in the story about them asking for back pay, I could imagine him writing that. I love the opening story, Elementary, even more than the great Zan and Jane a backup. The Elementals were an interesting bunch. It's a shame that they never caught on. They seemed older than your average superheroes, and their reluctance is a nice angle. I hope you sparked Mark to use them rot. Jeez, oh, I hope so, Martin. That would be wonderful. It would be fan- absolutely fantastic if uh, somehow Mark's appearance on the show led to uh, further adventures with the elementals in the DC universe. Edo Bonar, Bonar once again says, uh, well, Rob, you did it again, not only mentioning, but also singing the jingle for a novelty product that shall remain from naming the damn tunes been swirling in my head all day. Light, right, making things fly. I'm a terrible singer. Otherwise, though, a wonderful show. A big thank from me as well to Mark Russell for participating. So far, the only thing by him I've read is the reimagined Flintstones, which I loved, and I'd really like to read his Wonder Twins. I've heard nothing but good things about it. As to the issue covered in the show, I remember this one quite well and fondly. I thought the Elementals were a really interesting crew and would have loved to have seen them again. I recall that this was, in fact, the first time I learned what a Sylph and Undine are and that Salamander meant something other than a rather cute little amphibian. And yes, I totally remember the Super Friends PSA with the tidbit about approaching strange dogs, which I also applied many times in real life. Captain Entropy says, I'm a little younger than you, Edo, so this issue was what motivated me to learn what a salamander was. Like you, Rob, and Mark, I learned quite a lot, of, lot from comics over the years. I never figured out what a salamander had to do with fire, and it's still a puzzle to me, until just now, as I searched the internet to find out. I recommend the Wikipedia entry on salamanders and folklore for more on that and a mention of Paracelsus. I'm also right there with you and Rob on Aquaman's PSAs. The Sovereign of the Seven Seas taught me how to get something out of my eye, as well as how to introduce myself to a dog. 
I remember both of those very well, Captain. And I, the other one was uh, Aquaman making teaching kids to not swim alone. That was a big one. I've always been very, ironically enough, or maybe not, afraid of water, afraid of drowning. But who isn't afraid of drowning? But that one really uh, stuck with me. It was the idea that you should always swim with a friend. Don't go, don't go swimming alone. Ted Kilmington says, great episode, Rob. I have fond memories from reading this issue back when I was nine. When the Kamiko Elemental series by Willingham came out in the 1980s, I think I was the only person that thought the Kamiko series was inspired by the elementals in this issue. I really appreciated hearing from your guest, Mark Russell. His run on Wonder Twins was quite enjoyable. Although considering this episode was released on Inauguration Day, I'm surprised you didn't do an episode of FW Presents where you and Mark discuss his earlier series, Prez. That's a, <laughs> that, that would have been... Um, uh, maybe we shouldn't get into one for all mankind, but uh, but uh, that would have been a, a great subject for an episode, and maybe maybe uh, someday in the future. <laughs> uh, Captain Entropy comes back, and he mentions, uh, "Congrats on a great guest," and he's a Tocqueville fan. I too love proto anthropological dissections of my national character. Two, Rob, obviously Gleek was Aquaman's helper because Aquaman needs less help than anyone else. Three, I agree with Mark. Tragedy and suffering in comics is good intro for kids whose lives have thus. So far, sheltered them from such things. That's it for now. Looking forward to number 15. Well, I hope you enjoyed it, Captain. Brian Linton says, how can I pass up a story that incorporates the work of Paracelsus? He was an interesting person who lived in a time where the line between science and magic was much more blurred than it is today. On one hand, he contributed to modern medicine and chemistry. On the other, he practiced alchemy and hermeticism. Anyway, I love the idea of a team based on the four elemental spirits from Paracelsus's writings. Elemental-themed teams are nothing new, but the historical and philosophical roots of the elementals could have provided some interesting story potential. In addition, the idea of reluctant heroes who are literally forced to be heroic is interesting to me. I'm looking forward to the next issue. Man, everyone loved the elementals. Jeez, DC really missed a bet not uh, bringing them back in some way. Uh, Cellar Dweller, who, of course, was mentioned in this very episode, thanks to his uh, contributing the For All Merch Kind uh, piece of... Uh, Super Friends merch. He says, so nice to end the workday with the Super Friends podcast. Firstly, thank you so much for having Mark Russell on the show. And Mark, thank you so much for all your hard work on the Wonder Twins series. It was so well done. I have all 12 issues, the two TPBs, and hope you and Stephen Byrne can give us a second series on Zan, Jaina, and the Mats. This was the first issue of Super Friends I ever purchased. I was at a sort of farmer's market, flea market combo with my family, and one of the booths had a comic book carousel display. This issue was on it, and as soon as I saw Origin of the Wonder Twins, I knew I had to have it and immediately grabbed it. Later, I would find the back issues at comic store. I remember thinking the elementals were cool characters, and the fact that they were possessed by spirits was a different way to have superpowers. I thought it was odd to see Kalik being sent off to his own to help Aquaman, but it was interesting to see Undine being able to hear Aquaman's telepathic commands because she was of the sea. Of course, my favorite part of the issue was the origin of the Wonder Twins. Like Mark, I would have liked to see Exor being drawn more alien-like, but other than that, I was pleased with the story and was very happy to know the story behind Zan and Jaina, their powers, their home, and upbringing. Also, Rob, you said in the podcast that this was the last time there would be extra pages on Super Friends. During its run, there were 12 other issues that had extra pages. The stories alternated between the Wonder Twins, Jack-O-Lantern, Seraph, and Plastic Man. Yes, uh, Mark, you're absolutely right about that, but I should have been more careful in what uh, and how I phrase that. And yes, uh, Super Friends did eventually bring in backups, but that was after DC decided to increase the page count of their 36-page comics. They got rid of a bunch of ads and increased the amount of story you were getting because they were doing a price increase. If I recall correctly, that's when DC went from 40 cents to 50 cents, and they made a big deal about saying, yes, we're charging you 10 cents more, but you're getting eight more pages of story. This issue, the one that I, we talked about, number 14, was the only double-sized issue of Super Friends in that it was an extra length 
uh, I think it was a 48 page comic and it was a 10 extra cents to, to make up for that. So it was really, it still is the only issue of the super friends that was sort of post DC explosion, but just before DC implosion, but you're right. Yeah. There will be uh, more backups to come and I am really looking forward to, to covering him. There's a lot of great stuff uh, in there. Doug Van Diver says, well, off I go to buy me those Wonder Twins trade paperbacks from in-stock trades. Jupiters. Looks like they're 42% off. Woot. And a voice in my head insists on telling me that I get free shipping for orders $50 or more. I hear and obey voice in my head. Thank you very much, Doug. Mark Baker Wright uh, ends the comments. He says, as always, I had fun with this one, although I confess my fun was blunted by the fact that the DC Universe app, now DC Universe Infinite, didn't include the Wonder Twins backup story with the rest of the Super Friends number 14. Ah, well, hardly your guy's fault. I confess that I spent a fair bit of time trying to headcanon how the depiction of the elementals in this issue might be retconned with the way elementals were handled in the later DCU, especially the era that gave us the fire elemental version of Firestorm. I may still have to see how the story pans out. If these guys get their souls, maybe the elemental forces are able to bond with the likes of Swamp Thing and Firestorm in a few years. I don't know. Uh, was also glad to get to hear from Mark Russell directly as I've been enjoying his run on Wonder Twins, though the aforementioned DC Universe app, although I'm only a bit more than halfway through at this point. I hope he gets a chance to revisit these characters soon. Yeah, I mean, everyone's been saying that in the comments and uh, co-sign here. I really enjoyed the Wonder Twins series, and I really did appreciate Mark coming by to talk about it. It was super fun to talk to him. So that is going to do it for the feedback for this episode of For All Mankind. Of course, big thanks to Sean Ross for stopping by. Always enjoy talking with him. And, of course, a big thanks to Chris Franklin for stopping by for another segment of For All Mankind. And, once again, thanks to Mark, a.k.a. Cellar Dweller, for submitting uh, a piece of merch. I really did appreciate it. So, again, that's going to do it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Of course, you can follow this show over on Twitter at For All Mankind SF. All the episodes are on our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon Music. And finally, you can support the Fine Water Podcast Network by going to patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. And there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Chuck Dill and Stanford M. Brown for their support of For All Mankind. I really appreciate it, fellas. So uh, again, that is going to do it. Thanks for listening to For All Mankind. Join us next episode when we will look at Super Friends number 16, The People Who Stole the Sky. NFW-TV Podcast.